Good morning. The scripture that we'll read today comes from Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 25. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. If we were going to have a contest about the favorite disciple, I bet you Peter would come out on top. I, I'm just guessing, but I can imagine Peter coming out on top in a popularity contest of the disciples. Why? Because he's like a disciple for everybody. What I mean by that is you, you see yourself in Peter. You hear him in your own words and you hear him in, your, in his words. He's a guy who just basically lived out loud, right? That's who he was. He said things that got him in trouble. He made gaffes all the time. I actually think if he was in a family, if he was, I had... There was three of us boys in my family. And if you've ever been in a family like that with siblings and stuff like that, there's always somebody who's kind of nudging the one guy and saying, hey, ask him this. How about if you say that? I get the feeling that Peter was that guy. John's whispering in his ear, why don't you ask Jesus this? Because I don't want to do it. Peter just says stuff, and you know it's got to be on the other disciples' minds from time to time. That's just the way Peter was. And he made bold and outrageous claims. One that's the most famous, he talked about his fearlessness and how he would never leave Jesus. And then, of course, he turns out to be a coward. He was a personality that Jesus responded to in a way he didn't respond to every other personality among the disciples. As a matter of fact, you see the response based on the undulations of Peter, right? He's up here, he's down here, he's all over the map. So even in this passage right here, you see one of those. 
He starts out by saying to Peter, Peter, you got it right, son. Nobody else saw it but you. Not exactly what he said. But he said, you, you said it. I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. But flesh and blood didn't reveal it to you. It's not really even to your credit, but you got it right. The Spirit of God revealed it to you. Way to go, Peter. How many verses later does the scene change? Peter rebukes Jesus for saying he's going to the cross, and Jesus turns to him, the one he just said, you get it, and says, you're a devil. Get behind me, Satan. Right? That's the way Peter was, and it's the way Jesus responded to him, I think because of who he was. I want to look at Peter through this passage and a couple of others to remind us of that disciple. First thing I want to mention is this. In terms of Jesus and Peter, he gets it right without understanding. What I mean by that is Peter says, you are the Christ, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and my friends, I don't think he had a clue about what he was saying. I mean, just think historically, he couldn't have had a clue. Jesus hadn't been to the cross. He was about to predict it. Actually, he had a couple of times earlier. Jesus was going to die on that cross. Jesus was going to be resurrected. How could Peter understand what the Christ even meant? I don't think he did. As a matter of fact, I think he probably misunderstood it just about as much as everybody else around him did. Peter is likely to have accepted the common notion of Messiah that it was going to be the reigning political leader that would bring Israel back and put him on the map and be the kingdom of David again except on steroids. This was going to be great. The Messiah was going to do it for us. I think that's what Peter thought. He had the courage to say, I'm going to follow you, Messiah. I believe in you, Messiah. There's a bunch of other people that don't. And he was right. There was a bunch of other people that didn't believe. But Peter, well, he got it right, but he didn't understand. Let's just think about one other thing. Do you think Peter really knew who Jesus was? Do you think Peter knew that he was the second person of the Trinity? That he had existed from all time? That he was co-creator with God, the Father of the universe? You think he knew that? I bet you he didn't. It's not until much later that we begin to develop this understanding of Jesus after the disciples reflect back on it. Not in the moment where Peter says, you're the Christ. He didn't understand even though he got it right. Second, he gets it wrong when he's at his best. He got it right and he didn't understand, and then when he's at his best, he gets it wrong. When's he at his best? He's at his best when he's defending his Lord. I mean, seriously, wouldn't you do the same thing? If Jesus said, I'm going to go die, and I'm going to let people beat me up, and I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to go to the cross, wouldn't you say, no, Lord, we can't do that? You're the Messiah. I'll stand in the way, Lord. Stay with me. Peter did that. He stayed with the Lord. Remember that episode in the garden of Gethsemane when they came to get Jesus, and Peter pulled out his sword and whacked off the servant of the high priest's ear? I think he just missed 
That was Peter. So Peter says, no, Lord, you're not going to do that. You're not going to go there. He actually, when he's in his best, gets it wrong. When he's at his highest in terms of his courage, when he is at his highest when it comes to, I will follow you to the cross, he gets it wrong. I think it's kind of ironic. You know what else is ironic? I had never thought of it until this week. Peter attempts to save Jesus from death. And in spite of the good intentions, that was not the will of God. And Judas leads Jesus to his death. Wrong intention. And that was the will of God. Is that an irony or what? Peter gets it wrong even when he's at his best. It's an example of the good standing in the way of the better. It's the righteous impeding what is the ultimate righteousness, the cross. It's the best intentions producing the worst consequence. Peter gets it wrong when he's at his best. So let me pause for a second. Sometimes that's your story. And the previous part too. Routinely, You get it right, and you don't fully understand. And often, you get it wrong when you have the best intentions. And grace means that God uses all of it to accomplish His will. So first, He he gets it right without even understanding Second, he gets it wrong when he's at his highest moral level, right? And third, he hears the message and he makes a commitment. Now, you don't see the commitment so much here, but you do hear the message. Because Jesus says, I'm going to go to the cross. I've got to die. I've got to suffer. And Peter says, no, you can't do that. And Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. And then he says, let me add to this. Here's the reality. If you want to follow me, you've got to take up your cross and follow me. You've got to deny self and follow me. And they would have understood the image even better than we do. For us, the cross is up there on the wall. It doesn't move. There's nobody on it. We put a shroud up there about this time of the year through Lent, purple, and then black on Good Friday, and then white on Easter. It's all symbolic of the cross. But you don't see the blood. You don't see the sweat. You don't see the tears. You don't hear people screaming out in shame and in pain. That was the cross for them. Because, see, folks, they walked past it. It was a public display routinely in the Roman Empire, invented by the Romans to subject people because of its horror. They'd seen it. They'd smelled it. They felt the horrible grief of the person hanging on the cross. And so Jesus says to them, you want to follow me? There you go. Pick it up. Like the criminals who carry it to their death. That's what it means to follow me. 
Wow, that's kind of raising the bar, isn't it? And when Peter hears that, we hear it later declared. But even then, when Peter heard it, he said, yes, Lord, count me in. Another point, after he'd said, yes, Lord, count me in, in effect, Jesus said, you don't have it. You don't have what it takes. Matter of fact, you say you're going to follow me, but you're going to deny me when things get hot. And he says, no, never me, Lord, never me. I'm committed to the way of the cross. I'll follow you to death. Well, of course, you know, after he makes a commitment, he doesn't follow through. And uh, this notion of pick up your cross and follow me, we have sort of a popular colloquialism, right, associated with that. And it's, it goes something like this. This is my cross to bear. And usually it means something of my deal, you know, something I made of my life, some mistake I made, some problem I have. I just got to bear my cross. And as good as that might be, I'm not suggesting we don't use the colloquialism, but I'm suggesting we look past it in order to understand this. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's not saying, take up your cross. I know you've sinned. I know you got this problem. Take it up and follow me. No, he's saying way more than that. He's saying, I want you to take up your cross because taking up your cross means dying. I want you to die to yourself. I want you to kill yourself so that you can live again and follow me. I want you to be so subsumed beneath the surface of the reality of the kingdom of God, which is me, that you're like gone. You're dead. Take up your cross that way and follow me. And Peter says, I'll do it. You know what else Peter says? You know this. He gets to the place of an ultimate test, and he denies his Lord. Uh, He says stunningly, I don't even know who he is. He says it to a girl around the fire, a, a young girl. We don't know who the young girl is, but She was probably some sort of servant. And he said it to her. But vicariously, he said it to Jesus. Because Jesus, it appears, overheard it. He said, I don't even know him. And the story is, at that moment, Jesus just turned and looked at him. Peter makes all kinds of claims. And then he denies his Lord. Imagine what he'd seen. He'd seen healings. Sight for the blind. Leprosy erased. People who were lame who could now walk. Just with a word from Jesus. He'd seen the storm calmed on the sea. He'd seen the dead rise again on command from Jesus. Imagine what he'd heard. He heard firsthand the Beatitudes. That Sermon on the Mount that we continue to study and try to understand. He heard the first words. He heard the promise concerning the coming of the kingdom. Jesus had repeated it over and over again. He heard predictions concerning his death. He should have known we were going to go there. 
He even heard predictions concerning his resurrection. And with all of that, my friends, with all of that that he had seen and heard, he denied his Lord. Here's the thing. He didn't deny the Lord he'd heard about. He denied God in the flesh that he knew, that he'd walked with. He denied that Lord. It, it, to me, when I, when I look at that picture, it's depressing, right? It's, it's unbelievably depressing that he could go there. But it's terrifying at the same time because I realize I could go there. Maybe you sit here on this occasion after those wonderful songs and in the middle of a sermon and going towards communion next and you say, oh no, I couldn't go there. I'll never go. Really, that's what he said. But he did. Part of understanding our sin nature is the realization that we can go there and being terrified by it. But apart from the depression and the terror that I see in that story, I see something else. I see incredible encouragement. Encouragement, you say? Yes, encouragement. Why? Because I see Peter and I realize he was like me. And I know the rest of Peter's story. That he turned back and he lived his life by carrying his cross and by dying and receiving eternal life with God. And that's encouraging. Because he fell and he turned back. And that could be me. No. That is me. And it will be me. I will fall, and I will turn back, and the same open arms that received me a hundred times before will receive me again. That's encouraging. So the final uh, part of this is some conclusion comments. The first one uh, is, is this. If Peter can do it, you can do it. <laughs> Seriously. That's what he says with his life. You know, there was an occasion where Jesus uh, comes back from the dead and he's with the disciples and Thomas, who doesn't really believe it, isn't there the first time around. And he says to the disciples, look, I'm not going to believe this stuff until I see him myself with my own eyes. So Jesus shows up, walks through the doors that are locked, and he says, hello, Tom. I'm here, fella. (laughs) Enjoy my presence. See the holes in my hands? That's where the nails were. How about the side? You want to touch these so you can believe? And Thomas makes that wonderful declaration, my Lord and my God, I believe. But do you remember what Jesus said at the end of that? He didn't really respond to Thomas the way he did to Peter. Way to go, Peter. He just looked at Thomas and he said, you know what? There's people who will never see And they're going to believe. Blessed be them. There's people 2,000 years from now in Bloomington, Indiana who are going to believe 
even though they've never seen. Blessed be them. In that moment, he was blessing you for your faith. If Peter can do it, if Thomas can do it, you can do it. You can believe, and you can stay with him. You can blunder like Peter and be forgiven. The second thing is God's ways are mysterious, aren't they? So we just should accept it. Because we'll never figure it out. God's ways are mysterious. See, the cross is not only hard to understand, it's not easy to accept. Imagine yourself in the first century situation with Peter, understanding Jesus to be the Messiah, the conquering Savior of the nation of Israel. You can understand why the mystery of the cross was absolutely incomprehensible. It can't happen that way. Jesus, God can't allow that to happen. Jesus, you can't go down that road. I don't understand it. I don't get it. God's ways are mysterious. But at some point, even though he never fully understood, and none of us do, the mystery of God's ways, he accepted the mystery of God's ways. He recognized that he would not understand, but still he could accept I mean, imagine really, especially for someone who has just gone through this experience. Imagine the three days following the crucifixion of Jesus. Imagine believing to yourself, and surely they wondered if Satan and his minions were shouting with satanic glee that they finally conquered the Son of God. They were having a party, my friends. It's over. Even he said it's over. He said it's finished. Of course, little did they know that the end was the beginning. How could Peter have understood it? Why would God let this happen? Had to be some of his words in those intervening three days. It had to be. How could God let this happen? We do not have to understand, my friends, in order to make the choice to follow. That's the good news. You don't have to understand the depths of the cross. You don't have to understand the mystery of God in your life. You don't have to understand pain and suffering. You don't have to understand evil. You don't have to understand it all in order to follow. You just have to have faith that God is in control. And God loves you. And you love God. And you're going to follow him with all your heart. That's discipleship. Not understanding but following. So accept the divine mystery of God incarnate and follow. You'll make the wrong choices, but still you can follow. You will sin over and over again, but still you can follow. You won't understand, but still you can follow. The third thing is this. Uh, Peter's story your story. It's really all about Jesus. See, I've spent 25 minutes talking about Peter and us. And the reality is, that's not the point of the story. 
Go back to what Jesus said concerning take up your cross and follow me. Lay down your life so that you can inherit life. All those themes in the gospel. When Jesus speaks those words, he's telling us something. He's telling us that our story is not the most important thing. That we are not the center of the universe. That the reality is if we want to find life and meaning and hope, and resurrection, we allow our life to be subsumed beneath His. We allow ourselves to die and to be buried with Him so that we can be raised again with Him in newness of life. It's a death for the purpose of resurrection. And when you subsume yourself within His story, you find a story that's way greater than yours, just like Peter did. So the reality is when we personally accept the lordship of Jesus Christ in our life, and commit to following, we die. And then we find life. And it's life for us. But it's not our life. It's his life. And it defines our reality. Uh, Peter made the uh, grand confession. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus He made the grand pronouncement. Peter, based on what you just said, based on the faith that you have in me, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to establish my kingdom. And the gates of hell cannot overcome it because it's eternal. Peter, you're a part of that. Welcome in. That's the invitation that Jesus gives us every day, my friends. Maybe you received the invitation once. Maybe you haven't, and I hope that would be today. But if you've received the invitation from Jesus, you know as well as I do that it keeps coming to you, doesn't it? Every day. Take up your cross and follow me. Lose your life, and then you'll find it. Enter into my life and see the kingdom of God. All along the way, you'll make mistakes, you'll sin, you'll do the right thing for the wrong reasons, and God will take care of it and everything else. That's foolproof, isn't it? That's God's life within us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the invitation, Um, invitation to be a part of your life so we can find life. The invitation to lose life so that we can be resurrected. The invitation to enter into a life that's bigger than ours, one that lasts for eternity. Not just our puny little life for eternity, but the life of eternity for all that you call. You give us that life, Lord, in a very simple way. We surrender to you. We say, okay, Lord, I give up. I can't do it on my own. I confess my sins. And I follow. And when we do, Lord, you give us life. It's abundant and free and eternal. Help us, Lord, to always be confessing sinners and confessing saints. In the name of Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen.